Well, I recently saw a meme online that took a lighthearted approach at describing adulthood. This is what it said. Adulthood is saying, but after this week, things will slow down over and over until you die. A lighthearted approach to adulthood, and maybe you can relate to that. Maybe that describes your life. The life is, is busy. Sometimes it's a good busy, and sometimes it's a difficult busy. We bear different burdens in, in life. And sometimes when we find ourselves in a, a burdensome week, we may be tempted to look to the next week and think, if we can just get through this week, then my problems will be behind me, things will get better. Maybe you think, well, if I could just get this next job, my job's the problem. If I get this new job, well, then my life is, is going to change. Students, maybe you just think, if I get through this test, this exam, well, then things are going to change if I can just make it through high school. And the reality is we get to those next week, and oftentimes we find new burdens and new challenges. And that reveals that if our hope is in our circumstances, we have no confidence that our circumstances are always going to change for the better. The next week comes, and often it can come without the relief that we hoped it would bring. But where do you look for joy? Where do you look for strength? Where do you go to find peace? Those who are in Christ, we need to be reminded this morning that we must not look to changing circumstances, but rather we need to look to our unchanging God. We find joy in Him. We find strength in Him. We find peace in knowing Him because He's faithful. Well, the book of Genesis, it was written to record the history of God's people there, the nation of Israel. But it's more than just a narrative of of history. This book of Genesis, it was written to comfort God's people. So their history was meant for them to look back on and be reminded of God's faithfulness. You see, as the people of God, we need to regularly have our minds drawn to look back on who God has shown Himself to be to us. To be reminded of that. You know, every Christian in this room this morning, you have a testimony. It's not a testimony of really good choices that you made in your life that got you to a particular place with God. If you're a Christian, your testimony is that you were sinful and only the blood of the Lamb saved your soul. It's a testimony of God's grace in your life. And if you look back over the course of your life, you'll see God's grace and His faithfulness. And we should be strengthened by that today that we would look toward the future and therefore look to God and His ongoing grace. You see, when God's people look to Him, when God's people look to His faithfulness, well, then we can rejoice, and we can find strength to persevere, and we can rest in the peace knowing that our God is faithful. Well, this morning in Genesis 21, we see God's faithfulness in giving Abraham a son, giving him this promised heir. He delivers this son through a miraculous birth. And the nation of Israel could look back on this miraculous birth, and they could know this is how they were here today. And for the people of God in the New Testament, those who put their faith in Jesus, the church, we can look back on this miraculous birth in Isaac and see our heritage. Turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 21. You can find that if you want to use the Pew Bibles right in front of you. You can take that and turn to page 15. So the best way to stay engaged in the sermon this morning is to follow along and a copy of God's Word. Uh, That Bible in front of you, if you don't own a Bible, take that Bible with you as a gift from us to you. We'd love to give that to you as a gift where you could read and know more about who God is 
and what he's done in Jesus. I'm going to read through all of Genesis chapter 21 as we begin our time here this morning. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness at of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, "What, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and 
called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. We've spent the entire fall going through the life of Abraham, chapter after chapter. And it's a bit of a roller coaster ride as you track the story of Abraham's life. You see lots of conflict, and then you'll see a little bit of resolution, and then here comes more conflict in his life. So in chapter 12, we saw that God made a covenant with Abraham and promised to him that he, through Abraham, all nations would be blessed. And even though his wife, Sarah, was barren and childless at the time, God promised descendants that would come from her, that would be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And most recently in chapter 17, we read that Abraham was 99 years old, still without a son. Sarah was 90, not merely barren anymore, but beyond childbearing years. That's why she laughed in chapter 18 when she heard the Lord himself tell Abraham that she would have a son in about a year. How would God make Abraham the father of a multitude of nations if his wife was beyond childbearing years? Ninety-year-old women do not have children. They didn't back then either. It would take a miracle. It would take a work of God. Now, the conflict continued to build in chapter 20 when Sarah again ended up in a king's harem. How would their life move forward together if she no longer belonged to Abraham and was taken away from him? So the the conflict just continues to build up and down, and throughout the trials that Abraham and Sarah knew, throughout their fears, throughout their failures, what we see in the story of Abraham is that God is faithful. He is faithful to His promises. And if you want to understand the story of Abraham's life, we have to get this. The story of Abraham's life is a story of God's faithfulness. And Christian, if you're here this morning... The story of your life is a story of God's faithfulness, His faithfulness to you through His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, the big idea that I want you to take away from the message this morning, if you want to write this down in your notes section, the big idea of Genesis chapter 21 is this, our joy and strength is found in God's faithfulness. Our joy and strength is found in God's faithfulness. We'll see that theme coming out throughout Genesis chapter 21. Just read through that. You could hear God's faithfulness all throughout the chapter. And as we make our way through this chapter this morning, verse by verse, I want us to consider three ways that God's faithfulness changes us. Three ways that God's faithfulness changes us. The first way is in verses 1 through 7. God's faithfulness changes Excuse me, God's faithfulness causes us to rejoice. God's faithfulness causes us to rejoice. Well, since chapter 12, Abraham and Sarah, they had been waiting for God to fulfill His promise and to give them a son that would be Abraham's heir. And it was a long period of waiting. Abraham was 75 years old when he first got the promise in Genesis chapter 12. 25 years later, we're at chapter 21. When's the last time you had to wait 25 years for something? I mean, if you have to wait 10 minutes for your coffee at Starbucks, we can awfully get impatient, right? We live in a fast-paced society. When's the last time you waited 25 years for something? And for Abraham and Sarah, this was something that was directly promised to them. Oftentimes, we're just waiting on things that maybe we're, we're 
praying about and seeing if this might be the Lord's will, but they knew this was God's will. This was a promise given to them by the Lord Himself with very specific details. You're going to have a son about a year. Here's his name. His name is going to be Isaac. This is a key moment in biblical history, and they had waited 25 years for this moment. And at the age of 100 in chapter 21, God fulfilled His promise. You see, God makes promises, and chapter 21 shows us, along with the rest of the Bible, God always keeps His promises. Now, Moses, the narrator of Genesis, he began chapter 21 by clearly pointing to God's faithfulness to His promise. So, three times in the first two verses of the chapter, Moses highlights God's faithfulness. Look at verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. So finally, here in chapter 21, we read of God fulfilling his covenant promise to Abraham and Sarah to give them a son through whom would come a mighty nation. And not only did this promise get fulfilled, but everything happened just as God said it would. Every detail occurred in just the way God said it would. It happened at just the right time that God had promised. He told them back in chapter 18, about a year, they would have a son, and God delivered at just the right time, showing He is faithful. Well, brother and sister in the Lord, we need to be reminded when we read things like this, we can rely on the Word of God. God's given us promises. He always keeps His promises. His plan never comes too late. He delivers everything that He has intended for us at just the right time. And just like the lives of Abraham and Sarah were to be characterized by reliance on the Word of God, that's to be the life of every Christian, that we would rely on the Word of God, which gives us motivation to know God's Word. How can we rely on God's Word if we don't know God's Word? How can we rely on God's Word if the only time we hear God's Word is on Sunday morning? Brother and sister, may our appetite grow. We certainly don't say this to, to produce unnecessary guilt, but may our appetite rather grow to say if we want to know God more, if we want to grow in our faith, if we want to grow in deeper reliance on Him, let's give ourselves more and more to listening to the Word of the Lord. You know, when we're faced with difficult choices, we're faced with trials, temptations, challenging decisions, listen to the voice of God by opening up the Bible. No, the Bible's not going to tell you exactly what job you should take. The Bible's not going to give you the answer as to when your suffering will be over. The Bible's not going to give you the answer, will this medication work or this surgery work? But the Bible tells us God's big plan. He loves us. He's in control. We might be caught off guard by our circumstances, but God never is. He's always faithful. He reigns above every circumstance. And even behind what sometimes seems like a frowning providence, there hides a smiling face of God. He loves His people. He's committed to His glory and to the good of His people, and therefore we find security in the Word of God. In verse 3, we see that Abraham responded to the fulfillment of this promise in obedience. 
So he named his son Isaac. So they didn't come up with that name. Uh, They didn't have, like Abraham had his top three picks for a name and Sarah had hers. No, God had given a name for the son. He had said, you will name him Isaac back in chapter 17 and again in chapter 18. And Abraham responded in obedience. He also responded by, in faith and obedience by circumcising Isaac, giving him the sign of God's covenant promise to Abraham to make him a father of a multitude of nations. And then in verse 6, we see Sarah's response to God's faithfulness. She responded with joy. She joyfully praised God. In verse 6, saying, God has made laughter for me. Now, remember the, the meaning of Isaac's name. Isaac's name means he laughs. Now, initially the meaning of that was that when Abraham had heard from God that Sarah, at that time, again, his wife wasn't just barren, she was beyond that. She was beyond her childbearing years. She was 90 years old. And when Abraham heard from the Lord that Sarah would bear him a son, what did he do? He laughed. And then in chapter 18, when the Lord came to visit Abraham and share a meal with him, and Sarah overheard from the tent, the Lord say to Abraham, uh, again, Sarah is going to bear a son for you. What did she do? She laughed. She tried to hide it, and God said no, but she did laugh. He, he heard her. He understood what was going on. And Isaac's name certainly would be an ongoing reminder of the initial unbelief at God's promise. But here, in the place of fulfillment, his name also takes on a, a new meaning, a, a different meaning. With the fulfillment of the promise of the birth of Isaac, there's a a new laughing here, a laughter of joy that would be reminded at his name. His name would be an ongoing reminder, certainly of the the initial unbelief of God in his promise. But the name of Isaac would now serve as an ongoing reminder of the joyful laughter produced by God's faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, we find great joy in God's faithfulness. If we want to know true and lasting joy, let's meditate on the character of God, of who He is, who He always has been, who He is today for us, who He promises always to be. You know, to say about one of us that we're unchanging often could not be a good thing. We need to change. There's sin we need to turn from. There's places we need to grow in. There's things we need to repent of. There's areas of our life we need to grow in godliness and character before the Lord. But to say about God that He's unchanging is one of the greatest statements we could cling to. God is perfect in all His ways. He's right in all that He does. He's full of wisdom and love. In Him there is light and there is no darkness at all. And therefore we have confidence God never changes. He's committed to His glory He's faithful to His promises. And even beyond His glory, God is also committed to to the joy of His people. He's committed to you, Christian, living in joy in Him. You know, the circumstances of our, our life, it may often feel like we're on a roller coaster. And even though there are a lot of ups and downs in our circumstances, we need to be reminded God's faithfulness never ebbs and flows. It never goes up and down. Circumstances change, but God remains the same. He is faithful. Well, the promise of a child through whom would come a a multitude of nations would come through Isaac, but he would not be the final fulfillment of this promise. Further fulfillment would come through his son, Jacob. Jacob's name would eventually be changed to what? Israel. 
Through him would come a nation, a mighty nation, just like God promised, the nation of Israel. And yet still the promise looked ahead, even beyond the nation of Israel, to a child that would come from the line of Isaac and Jacob, one who would be born as the Messiah of Israel. And while joy was certainly found in the birth of Isaac in Genesis chapter 21, there was a greater joy that would come from a child that would eventually be born from his line. And the prophet Isaiah looked forward to, a, to the birth of a son that would come hundreds and hundreds of years later that would bring great joy for all people. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, a familiar verse that we read at Christmas oftentimes, Isaiah the prophet looking forward to the birth of Messiah, of Jesus. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. An even more miraculous birth would come than a 90-year-old woman getting pregnant and, and birthing a son. A miraculous birth conceived by a virgin, the Virgin Mary. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, coming down to earth in the form of a, a tiny little baby in the womb, born, just like he said and taught in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 13, that the kingdom of God would grow like a tiny little mustard seed. It would seem tiny and insignificant at first, but once it would grow, it would be larger than any of the other trees. We see that Jesus, a tiny little baby who came down and was born in Bethlehem, that his kingdom would grow through him as he grew lived the perfect life, laid his life down to die on the cross and pay the penalty for sins, and three days later got up from the dead to bring salvation and peace with God, forgiveness of sins, and joy to anyone who would turn and trust in him. As much joy as the birth of Isaac brought, the birth of Jesus would bring a lasting joy that would be for all people, meaning all who trust in him. And the New Testament begins in Matthew chapter 1 with the genealogy. We've mentioned this a few times, but it connects Jesus. It goes all the way back in his family tree. And the first name it lists in Matthew 1 is Abraham and then Isaac. So as we celebrate Jesus and the birth of Jesus this month as a church, it's connected to this moment here in Genesis chapter 21. That moment of God's miraculous birth there of Isaac has impacted your life here this morning Christian. You see, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul comments on Jesus growing up, laying down his life. He didn't come merely to be a good ethics teacher. He came to lay his life down, to be a savior, to pay the penalty for the sins of anyone who would trust in him. And the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God fulfills His promises always at the right time. If you're here today and you're a Christian, meaning that you've repented of your sin and you've put your faith in Jesus, the story of your life is a story of God's faithfulness. You can find comfort and peace knowing that the same God who, who works circumstances in your life to draw you to Himself, he placed someone in your life who shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. There was a moment in, in your life that he opened up your eyes to see your sin for what it is, an, an offense against a holy God. And he opened up your eyes to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. You didn't save yourself. God saved you. 
And you can look back on that moment in confidence knowing that same God who was faithful to show you his grace at your conversion, he is faithful to give you what you need to sustain you until the end. We can look to God and his faithfulness to his people in Jesus, and there we find true and lasting joy. Let's consider a second way that God's faithfulness changes us. In verses 8 through 21, we see that God's faithfulness strengthens us to obey. Second part of our outline, second way that God's faithfulness changes us. God's faithfulness strengthens us to obey. Well, some time had passed between what we read in verse 7 and where we are now in verse 8. We read in verse 8, and the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. So we see that Isaac was growing and he was weaned. Now, now back in that time, children would often nurse till about three years of age. Right? So a lot of time has transpired here. This weaning of a child, it would be marked back then typically by a big feast. And so uh, this would be kind of like a big uh, three-year-old birthday party that Abraham uh, set for Isaac. As Isaac grew, the story turns to what would become of his older half-brother. So what would happen with, with Ishmael? God worked in the life of Isaac. What happened with Ishmael? And we see a scene of joy shift here to a scene of conflict. And the conflict starts there in verse 9. And Sarah noticed Ishmael laughing. There's been a lot of laughing in, in Genesis, but this laughing from Ishmael, it wasn't the same joyful laughing that we just saw in verse 7. But what happens in verses 9 through 21 and putting the context of this passage together, we can interpret this laughing is connected with mocking. Furthermore, in the New Testament, so that the best way to interpret Scripture is by Scripture itself. And in the New Testament, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 29, the Apostle Paul, he teaches on this moment with Isaac and, and Ishmael. And he states that Ishmael persecuted Isaac, and therefore he was cast out. So this laughing was very different than the joyful laughing of Sarah in verse 7. Ishmael's laugh was a mocking laugh. And this mockery likely was to have been associated with mocking the plan for Isaac to be Abraham's heir. Now, I've already seen in the story of Genesis what Cain did to Abel when he was jealous that Abel was going to be the one through whom God's seed would spread. It would be Adam and Eve's heir. Cain killed his brother Abel. Well, there would be no repeat of this with Isaac and Ishmael. The Lord would not allow it. And we see Sarah's response in verse 10 was to tell Abraham to cast Hagar and Ishmael out. And that might seem harsh. And maybe her attitude was harsh. And while God may not have approved of her disposition or her attitude, God did approve of the action of sending Hagar and Ishmael away. We've seen in verse 11 that Abraham was, was very displeased with this. That means he, he was angry. I mean, Ishmael was his son too. He loved Ishmael. They, they had a relationship. That was father and, and, and son. Sending him away would be painful to do. Who would take care of them? How, how would they survive? He was not happy at all with this situation, yet God responded in verse 12, telling Abraham to do what Sarah says. And the Lord says, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. It was God's plan to bless the nations through Isaac. Isaac would be Abraham's heir, not Ishmael. 
Ishmael was a threat to Isaac. He persecuted Isaac. His presence would serve as a rivalry to Isaac and therefore a rivalry to God's plan. This was a serious problem. It needed to be resolved. There would be no repeat of Cain and Abel, and God gave his direction for what needed to happen. And so Ishmael was cut off from the family. Any opposition to God's plan to bless the nation, to bless the nation, excuse me, would be removed. Now, with God's command to send them away, God comforted Abraham. He he strengthened him to obey his promises. So a double consolation was given there in verse 12. God gave his promise for Isaac. I'm going to bless the nations through him. And then in verse 13, more comfort. God promised that he would care for Ishmael. God would sustain Ishmael's life and make a nation out of him. He was comforting Abraham, strengthening him to obey by pointing to his provision and his protection. He comforted Abraham with promises, and once again, Abraham believed God. He he trusted God, and he obeyed Him. And in verse 14, Abraham's disposition changed from anger to obedience. Abraham obeyed God. He followed his plan to send Ishmael out, trusting that God would provide for him. Now, in verse 14, we see that Abraham sent them off with the basics of of bread and and water. However, those basic supplies, they They wouldn't last long, but God would provide for them. In verses 15 and 16, we see that things came to a point where Hagar thinks they're going to die alone in the wilderness. Notice in verse 15, Hagar put Ishmael under one of the bushes when their water ran out. Basically, she was resigning herself to what she thought the situation was going to be. In verse 16, she she steps away. She puts some distance between herself and Ishmael and and said, let me not look on the death of the child. And she sat and she wept loudly. Now, Ishmael was crying too. We read in verses 17 through 21 that God heard his voice and he responded. God affirmed the promise about making Ishmael into a great nation. He opened up Hagar's eyes to see a well of water. And God provided for them what they needed to be sustained. God was with Ishmael. He grew up. He lived in the wilderness. He ended up marrying an Egyptian woman just like his mother. And God was with Ishmael. I think what that means in the sense that God's presence was blessing him on account of Abraham. God blessed him because of Abraham. He was strengthening Abraham's confidence in him. Strengthening Abraham to obey and do a painful thing, a a painful step of obedience. Sometimes obeying God means painfully cutting things out of your life. But that comes with a promise that God is there to give you the strength to do that. And God will bring good about that. And if painful things aren't cut away from our lives, things that oppose God's plan, how will we know a fruitful Christian life? How will we walk in the blessing and the plan that God's intended for us if there's any rivalry or opposition to His plan? You see, this scene, it highlights God's faithfulness to Abraham. He was faithful to take care of Isaac. He was faithful to take care of Ishmael. And this scene in Genesis 21, it sets up the rest of the story of Genesis. What happened here is critical indeed to the rest of the story of the entire Bible This plan through Isaac is a plan for the rest of redemptive history. 
The rest of the Bible is about what God does to establish his kingdom on earth and to form a people through Abraham and his son Isaac to bless the nations. This was a critical moment, but God's plan was never in jeopardy. God's faithful. He commanded Abraham what to do, and God obeyed. Well, Christian, have you considered how often God's plan and your obedience go together? Now, God, the confidence we have is God's sovereign over all of our failures, over our sin and our mistakes. His hands are never tied, is what that means. God will always accomplish His plans. But think about how often God accomplishes plans through your obedience. Now, sitting here this morning, you're a Christian, you have a testimony. Someone told you the gospel. They were obedient to Jesus. Your salvation didn't just come out of anywhere. God saved you, but He used someone else who was obedient to share the gospel with you. It might have been mom or dad. It might have been grandparents. It might have been a classmate. But by God's grace, they were obedient. And God used that to accomplish His plans. I think about the many marriages in, in this room. We understand that God calls Christians to marry other Christians. Right? Marriage is for either two believers or two unbelievers. And when two believers obey that command and give themselves to another Christian, God blesses that and produces healthy, fruitful marriages and families and works through that plan. You see, God establishes His plans and He works through the obedience of His people. Well, again, in the New Testament in Galatians chapter 4, Paul uses this story of Ishmael being cast out to call Christians to cast out anything that undermines their freedom in Christ. That's how the Apostle Paul interpreted this chapter for Christians there in the book of Galatians, and we would do well to consider that at the same time. Now, I wonder what threats you face to God's plans in your life. What is it that you need to cut out of your life that is threatening God's plan to grow you as a Christian? What sin do you need to turn away from? Confess. Repent. Seek help from the Lord. What area of folly or laziness would you be giving yourself to time and Time again, that we, we know that fruit does not come from continued folly, but rather by God's grace and, and recognizing it, calling it what it is, and seeking wisdom and help from God. I wonder what it is today. When we come to church, we don't want to just be familiar with God's Word and think, well, I've heard this story before, and now I know a little bit more about it. I'm more familiar with Abraham and Isaac. When we come to church as God's people, we want to leave changed. We want to grow in our faith. And I wonder what threats to God's plan in your life you could consider cutting out today. Well, finally, let's consider a third way that God's faithfulness changes us. In verses 22 through 34, God's faithfulness brings us peace. God's faithfulness brings us peace. In the final scene of this chapter, King Abimelech from chapter 20 shows back up. And we see that God's faithfulness in the life of Abraham, it was evident to those around him. Because Abimelech says to Abraham in verse 22, God is with you in all that you do. It was clear to others around him, even a pagan king, the king of the Philistines, that Abraham was a man who had faith in God and that his God was full of power. And seeing that God was with Abraham, Abimelech wanted a 
peace treaty. Now remember that back in chapter 20, Abimelech had given Abraham the ability to live there in the land of Canaan. He didn't give him land, but gave him the ability to dwell there. And Abraham was able to go from a nomadic lifestyle and tents traveling around to being able to settle in right there in the land of Canaan, the land that God himself had showed him, saying that he would give him this land eventually. Now Abimelech wants to make a peace treaty with Abraham, a covenant. Look in verse 23. He wants Abraham to swear to me here by God, you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. I think this request from Abimelech had provided an opportunity for Abraham. He was able to bring up a grievance and to reprove Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized or stolen from Abraham and his family. So Abraham's access to a well, to water, had been stolen, and that threatened Abraham's ability to peacefully dwell in the land of Canaan. If he didn't have water, he couldn't stay there and survive with his family. Uh, You know, all the cattle, the flocks that needed to be watered, where would they drink from? So he'd either have to get into a fight or he'd have to leave. There wouldn't be peaceful dwelling in the land with this situation. Well, they move forward, Abimelech and Abraham, to live in harmony and to enter into a covenant with one another. Now, it was customary to bring gifts to a covenant, so Abraham gives him seven ewe lambs. And then in verse 30, asks for the well to be returned to him and to his household. That's his main request. And in verse 31, Moses notes the place was called Beersheba. That likely means the well of an oath. Therefore, future generations could look back and know that an oath was being, had been made there between Abimelech and, and Abraham. They entered into a covenant. And with that, the covenant of Beersheba was made, establishing peace in the land for Abraham and his family. Now, notice in verse 33, the response of Abraham, he planted a tree. Abraham planted a, a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Now, it's not exactly clear why he planted a tree. Oftentimes, he built altars. This time, we see him planting a a tree. And some scholars suggest that this may be symbolic of kind of a a planted and settled life in the land. I mean, that, that may be the case. But whatever it is that this means, this tree specifically, we see the planting of this tree clearly as an act of praise, calling out to the Lord, praising Him as the everlasting God. Everlasting mean that he always has been, he always is, he always will be. He never changes. The response of Abraham to God's faithfulness there to give him safe dwelling, peace in the land, was to praise God, to praise his faithfulness. Now, this may just seem like an interesting story tacked on to the end of the birth of Isaac, but consider the significance of this story being at the end of chapter 21. By the end of this chapter, Abraham had received a child and peace in the land. The promise, the covenant promises that God gave to Abraham back in chapter 12, descendants, land. So what we're seeing here is the beginning of that fulfillment. Through this covenant with Abimelech, God provided Abraham access to a well which guaranteed him peaceful dwelling in the land. A child being born and peace in the land. That sounds familiar. These two different themes of a a child, a long-awaited promised child being born, and peace on earth, peace 
dwelling in the land, sounds awfully like the promise being fulfilled that we celebrate at Christmas. Chapter 21 brought a child and peace in the land, but a a greater child was coming through Isaac than Isaac himself, and a greater peace would come than what we see here in chapter 21 when Jesus himself was born. In the New Testament, in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the angel of the Lord announced to the shepherds, keeping watch over their flocks by night, he said this in verse 11, the angel of the Lord, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth what? Peace among those with whom He is pleased. This promise to bless the nations through Abraham ultimately was fulfilled in Jesus. The greatest picture of God's faithfulness was demonstrated in sending Jesus, the eternal Son of God, down to earth. The greatest picture of God's love was the Son of God laying down His life, shedding His blood on the cross willingly as a sacrifice for sin. The the greatest demonstration of love the world has ever seen is Jesus purchasing peace for His people by the blood of His cross. The most powerful moment the world has ever seen. It already happened three days later when God raised Jesus from the dead. Dead people do not get up and come back to life to never die again. God raised him from the dead to show he is who he said he was. He's the Son of God. He's the one you were waiting for, the the long-awaited Messiah. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years for this child, but Israel had waited hundreds and hundreds of years for this child to be born in Israel that would come down to Jerusalem and die in Jerusalem to save his people from their sins. And if you know Jesus, then you know peace. If you repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, then you know joy. And it's everlasting joy because it's joy that comes from an everlasting Father. It's a joy that you'll know in this life and a joy that will carry on to unending joy, uninterrupted joy in the next life. We get just a little bit of a taste of the fulfillment of the promise here as Christians, this side of heaven. Meaning we get to know God's joy and His peace here. But the Genesis story of Genesis tells us that's not all we know. We know pain. We know trial and difficulty. We know fear and failure. We know physical trouble and spiritual trouble. We find hope and joy. We try to cling to that hope and joy. We understand God is faithful to carry us from this life to the next. But let us be reminded in Genesis chapter 21, and let us be reminded as we celebrate the fulfilled promise of Jesus coming at Christmas, as we celebrate that this month, that there is greater fulfillment that is yet to come. If our hope is in Jesus, our hope is that He's returning one day. He's going to take everyone with Him who have put their faith in Jesus. And the most important way you can live today is in light of that day. Do you know this Christ? Do you know joy that comes from Him? Do you know peace that can only come between you and God, your sins being forgiven? That's what true peace is, having sin moved out of the way so that you can have a relationship with the God who created. Do you know that peace? I'm not just asking you, do you know about the story of Christmas? Do you know about this long-awaited child of Christmas? Do you know Jesus? Is your faith in Him? If not, 
That's something that can be changed today. Talk to someone who, who brought you today. Talk to them about what it would look like to trust in Jesus, to, to start a relationship with God today. We'll be at the top of the ramp afterwards, me and some of the pastors. We'd love to talk with you more about how you can know joy and life and peace and strength that's found only in Jesus. Well, brothers and sisters in the Lord, for those who already know Jesus, I wonder for you this week what it would look like to spend this week looking more to God and His faithfulness. What circumstance has kind of got your attention? A difficult circumstance that's troubling you, that's bothering you, sort of trouble that you're in. What would it look like this week to look above that to God and His faithfulness? Maybe that means just asking someone here today to pray with you or to pray for you, sharing your struggle with someone that could walk alongside you to, to help you. Maybe it's just saying, I, I want to leave this week with a renewed fervor to spend time with God and to spend time with His people. That's how we grow in our faith, is spending time with God and spending time with God's people who can encourage us and build us up. What would it look like for you this week to spend more time looking at God and His faithfulness than looking at your circumstances. For brothers and sisters, we must not look to changing circumstances, but rather to our unchanging God. He is faithful. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Look to Him. And I leave you with the words of Lamentations 2. 22 through 23, a reminder to us of God's character and His faithfulness. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. Let's pray.